thankful for the opportunity to present tonight's lesson. Uh, David asked me on Wednesday night if I would fill in with him for him uh, so that he could go with the young men and visit the folks over there in the Phil Campbell area. Um, if you want to give my lesson a title tonight, uh, I would title it Born of God and Led by the Spirit. Uh, when I speak of lead, being led by the Spirit, certainly one sermon doesn't cover that. That's a very broad subject and uh, certainly you could spend a month of sermons uh, uh, studying that topic. But I want to focus in in one area tonight. And what I like to use to begin with as a lesson text is 1 John chapter 3, verses 9-10. through 10. So if you'd like to turn to that scripture, then we'll read that together. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither hath he that loveth not his brother. And you would uh, perhaps argue or you could read in commentaries that this is maybe one of the more difficult passages in the Bible. I would argue that it's also one of the misunderstood, most misunderstood passages in the Bible. John says in verse 10 that in this the children of God and the children of devil are manifest. And, and that's really the point that I want to begin with tonight, and then I'd like to develop beyond that. Every person shows who they are every day by the life that they live. Jesus Christ came into the world to save mankind, and in order to do that, He showed us that we needed to end our sinful ways. In, in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, and he said this, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And then over a few verses later into verse uh, 26, To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you, and turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So, in essence, what he's, what he's doing then is he's sending his son, and he means for us to get totally and completely out of the business of sinning, out of the habit of sinning. And, of course, that requires that we repent, which means, of course, that we're going to have a change of mind. Thayer, Thayer defines repenting as a change of mind for the better, heartily to amend, with adhorrence to one's past sins. So repentance is a change of mind and a change of heart and a change of purpose that, that take us, takes us away from the love of sin and from the purpose of sin but immediately gets us away from the willful practice of sin. And I want to kind of develop that thought too. It's a turning away from sin. We turn from the business of sinning. And of course, we, in the process of this, we understand that man has a soul, and that soul is a spirit, but he has a spirit, a soul, as well as a body. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.20, Glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. So they're separate things. And so when we repent, it's not our body that becomes a new creation, but rather it's our spirit that becomes a new creation. So in the conversion, all the change that the soul will ever receive has to be received at that time. And then thereafter, also as we go on and we live our Christian lives. So we're, we're um, changing as we go on and live our lives. 
And so as we live our lives, we want to become more Christ-like. We become Christ-like in living our lives, not in the resurrection. And so the soul gets its change in conversion and in obedience to the gospel and then in growing in grace and in, in the living of the Christian life and as, as we prepare, as we get ready for heaven by this continual process of conversion, if you will. So as we're living our Christian lives, then we're being transformed and we're being changed and we're being better fitted, better prepared for eternal life in heaven. When we come here together and we worship, we worship we, our, our worship is spiritual. Our spirit, the whole inward man that, that, that we speak of in terms of our soul and in our spirits, that is involved in our worship. It's involved in our singing and our praying and our worshiping. Not in some sort of mechanical sort of way uh, that becomes somewhat of a curse uh, instead of a blessing that's, that's, that's bestowed upon us. Our worship to our Heavenly Father comes from our soul. And so Jesus came to show us how to prepare our souls, our, our, our spirits for heaven. You know, we sing a song sometimes, Careless soul, why will you linger? And then a little later, Unprepared to meet thy God. Well, in Amos 4, chapter 12, it reads, Prepare to meet thy God. And, and I just want to ask you to, thought, to think about this. Do you understand and do you realize the gravity of that? Prepare to meet your God. Prepare for the judgment. Prepare for eternity. Get ready. And, and the thing is, is that we're just here for a short time. We're here to prepare for eternity. We are deciding right now, right, right here today, tonight, we are deciding where we will be for billions and billions of years. Think about that. However we can put some kind of concept around eternity. Billions and billions of years later. We can't let this world that we're in detract us from that and entice us and lead us astray. So here is the very purpose for the coming of Christ told to us in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 where the angel said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. He came to save us from sin, from the love of it, and away from the willful practice of it. Our vocation, our business is to serve God. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Being Christians is our purpose and it's our focus. And and we stand pledged to God that as Christians we're not going to sin whatsoever. You know, you hear a lot about today about preventive medicine. Uh, What about preventive righteousness you know there there are doctors out there they're not you know they're interested in curing diseases but they're also interested in preventing diseases but i'd like to ask you are are all the members of the church interested in preventive righteousness i'm wondering about that sometimes we believe in preventing diseases we we try to eat right we try to exercise and, and, and live a lifestyle that promotes good health. But what about our spiritual health? Shouldn't we do the same in our religious life? And if we're wise in the way that we live our Christian lives, a lot of sin can be prevented. And we sin. 
but but we know that we can get forgiveness provided that uh, that we can obey and provided that we can repent and so we don't take sin lightly and we think about that and and and, and we don't take sin lightly and think that we can control every situation that we're going to be in. We don't expose ourselves because sin is just so powerful and it, and it will sink its clutches into us. So it's just so so much better not to sin than to sin and to get go- forgiveness, even if, if you could be sure that, that you would be good enough of heart to repent and to obtain that forgiveness. So, unfortunately, we can fall away. And did you know that there are those who can't repent? You know, you think about this as an example. Sometimes a person gets a disease to the point where they can't no longer live as a result of that, that disease. You may have some family member or friend uh, who, who could not live any longer as a result of some sort of abuse. I've seen that in my family. And it's the same case with sin. You can go so far with sin that you can't turn back. You can't go past that point of return in your sinful behavior. And it can happen so easily to us. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they fall away. The American Standard Version reads, and then fell away. That is, it it is impossible to renew them again unto repentance. If it's impossible to renew them, it's impossible for them to be renewed and thus people can reach a point where they can't come back. They've fallen away, and, it, and it's impossible to bring them back. Now, as long as one has not fallen away, has, has not given up faith, they can come back. Luke chapter 8, verses 13. They can be renewed, and they can be restored. And so when, when people just simply fall, fall into sin, and still believe in God, and still believe in Christ and, and yet have their faith, they can come back, they can repent, and they can be renewed. But there's that danger that you can go beyond the point of no return, and therefore he pleads with people not to do that. People can get so in love with sin that all sense of honor, with, with their hearts so hardened, they lose all sense of, of, of honor. And, and their consciences are so seared that the gospel won't reach them. And we don't want to get to that point. God, you know, has certainly demonstrated his miraculous power. God has no power that he uses, though, in reaching man other than the gospel. You know, we, we, we are converted through the persuasiveness and that persuasive power of the gospel, just as Paul said in Romans chapter 16 and verse 1, it is the power of God unto salvation. And he deals with us as free moral agents, as creatures of responsibility and as, and as, as people of accountability. And he appeals to us to be saved. And he has stipulated that salvation must be upon certain conditions. And so 
you can see why it is that, that we have the gospel, why we have the church, and why we have Christianity. It is to get us away from the sinning business and to prepare us for heaven. The new birth then is to get out of the sinning business, make us new, make us over, so that we won't willfully sin. That's what John is teaching, and that's the background to, to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. So let's look at the, ta- the context of that. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. I think the word here, the key word to kind of unlock this and give us understanding is the word commit. The word commit here is the form of a Greek tense that is in the present indicative. And it means to practice. And as as some translations such as the New American Standard Version might say that, uh, the New American Standard Version reads this, "No, No one who has been born of God practices sin because his seed remains in him and he cannot sin continually because he has been born of God. In, in, in the process of analyzing that, let's remember Mark 16 and verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. When you trust in that promise that I just quoted, you're risking everything in this world and in the world to come. That is faith. And that's what he's talking about here in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. When a person has done that, when he has repented of all his sins, then they have faith enough to turn from sin. They say goodbye to the world, goodbye to sin. And they turn from the pleasures of the sin in this world. And until a person says that, they really have never repented. And, and I will say, they're not fit to be baptized if they don't say goodbye to the world. If you were baptized under those circumstances, I'm afraid... All you did was get wet. You went down into the water dry, and you came up wet, and that's the only change you got if you didn't do that. So we have people that might do that, and then they go on living the same old lives, telling the same lies over and over again, whatever they're doing, committing adultery, stealing, defrauding, uh, being dishonest, hating people, uh, hating God, hating the Bible. Uh, showing their contempt by their lives, the very lives that they willfully live and continuing on in their willful and purposeful practice of sin in and of itself. They're in the sinning business, and and they're, they're not born of God. John is telling us that when he says, whosoever is born of God doth not practice sin. If you say you are born of God and you are the same old sinner... You're not born of God. That's what he's telling you. That is why uh, children of God are, are new people. They have a new love, uh, a new affection, and they have new ambitions, and they have new aspirations. They have a new hope because they have a new life. And then inwardly, they are Christ-like now. They, they, they hate sin and they love righteousness. They're against the sinning business everywhere in every aspect. And, and all you have to do is identify a thing uh, as sinful and, and a faithful child of God is against it and going to stay away from it. Now, I have a hard question to ask you. 
Can we say that about all church members? Well, some are not against the sinning business. They are against certain sins. They are against all sins except for what you might call their little pet sins. And if if you're one who has one of these pet sins, you're a willful sinner. A man who will willfully practice one sin is going to hell if he doesn't repent. If he does not correct it and get away from that purpose, he is going to hell. And it should be our purpose not to sin. If you are one of these that, you know, I'm speaking of that might have these pet sins, then you can't even promise to yourself, much less God, that you won't sin. There shouldn't be a single sin out of the the whole catalog of sins that you're willing to ever practice or ever commit at a single time. Now, I'm not, not professing or saying uh, that, that we're claiming perfection, uh, but all the defect has got to be in my inability, in my weakness, in my ignorance. It's, it's got to be somewhere other than in my heart. I purpose in my heart that I'm not going to be a willful sinner. And I don't know of a commandment in God's Word that, I, that I'm not going to do my best to obey. And I don't know of anything he has forbidden that I even want to practice. You need to reach that point where the desire to sin is just taken out of your heart. And that that happens at conversion. And conversion turns them away from that desire of sin and from the purpose of sin and the will of sin and makes them pure and, and clean in their heart. A heart that says, Lord, I'll give up all my sins but my alcohol. I'm not going to give that up. Or I'll give up all my sins except adultery or whichever one you want to, you know, you want to use as an example. That person is not repented. That person is not converted that says that. They may have been baptized, but just like I said a moment ago, all they really accomplished was getting wet. They are not saved. And if, if they go on living like that, they are deluded. If they think they are a child of God, they're not a child of God. God doesn't save men and who, who, who have the purpose in their lives to commit any sin. He doesn't want us to come to judgment with the love of sin in our hearts. So people need to be converted. But in the context of 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9, and you can see what John means. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit, commit sin. He doesn't practice sin. So let's, let's look at that a little bit further. The word commit here is from the Greek word translated as continue in James chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. I want to read that if you'll turn with me there. James 4, 12 through 14. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Go to now, ye that, st- that say... Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and here it is, and continue there 
a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what you shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. I'll go to such a city and, and I will continue there a year and buy and sell. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, doth not continue in sin. That's the word. And that is the truth of that passage, 1 John 3 and verse 9. That means that if we are Christians, if we are really children of God, we've been born again and we're not continuing in sin. We give it up. We obeyed the gospel. And so I ask you now, have you obeyed the gospel? Have you been born again in the waters of baptism? But more importantly, when that happened, did you give up the practice of sin? Well, when a person obeys the gospel, they, they die to that. They die to the love of sin. They die to the practice of sin. And, and we resolve to turn from it and to get out from under it as fast as God could, could work through us and get us out. That, that's our purpose And so in Romans chapter 5, the closing verses, Paul said, Where sin abounded, grace did much abound. Meaning that the more people were sinful, the more they needed the favor and the grace of God through Jesus Christ, and the more they needed a Savior. And then in Romans 6 and verses 1 and 2, How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? What I've said is correct. Jesus came to get us out of the sinning business, away from it. And, and if we worship and we serve God as we should and as we ought to, if we will study the Bible and we'll fill our hearts with it and then we'll learn from one another and we'll be encouraged by each other and if, if we make our, our fellowship together sweet and complete and edifying, that will help us stay out of the sinning business. We get out of that more and more uh, of the sinning business through experience and practice as we, as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and as we are changed into the image of Christ from glory to glory, from one state of glory to a higher state of glory. We are away from the purpose of sin or to sin and we want to do right. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 reads this, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. Cleanses, cleanseth means God keeps us clean. He cleanses us from all sin. God will keep us clean. God will keep us cleansed because we're praying to Him to keep us cleansed, to keep us forgiven. And that is a penitent, humble, pure, clean attitude toward God. A person like that ought to go to heaven because they hate sin. They hate their own sins. They want God to keep them justified and saved and, 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 and on the way to heaven. And like I said earlier, we aren't perfect, but we're striving to be perfect. We'll never be perfect, but we're striving to do it. 
And if we think about this passage again, 1 John 3, 9, we do realize there's some extremes. Some people look at that and say, uh, a child of God can't sin at all because of what John said there. But that's a false interpretation of John's statement because right in the next verse he says this, if we say that we have no sin, that is, that we never do anything wrong, then what does he say? We deceive ourselves in the truth, God's truth. God's truth. God's Word is not in us. And you know, I, could, I could quote several passages. One, I'll just quote one, 1 Kings 8 and 46. God says, There is no man that sinneth not. There is no man who is entirely out of the sinning business. When it, when it comes to just our average acts of life, and our average living of life. But a faithful Christian wants to be, to be perfect. Uh, as Hebrews 6.1 says, let us go on to perfection. We're maturing. We should have maturity and we should have perfection in our minds as we live our lives and, and we perfect the Christ-like um, mindset. You know, God's not going to say at judgment, Well done, thou good and perfect servant. Thou hast been perfect over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy, joys of the Lord. No, he, said, he didn't say perfect. He said faithful, didn't he? So it's by the favor of God through His mercy and His forgiving grace that, that we're saved and we're kept saved and kept on the way to heaven. And if we... We die for whatever reason. If we drive, you know, if we, we, we maybe, maybe get up in the morning and we, we haven't prayed and we get in our car, we go some, to go to work and, and somebody hits us and we die. What about that? What happens? Well, you would go to heaven because if you hate sin and you hate the sinning business and you are not willfully living in sin, in our, our, our living in obedience to God, that's what's going to happen. It, it, and it, it ought to be for you and for me and for all of us uh, an all-consuming consuming purpose and plan in life, never to commit a single sin. That's what makes you a Christian. And again, we grow into maturity and the life. And, and we'll, we're, we're seeking perfection but we're, we're, we're using that as the standard, the standard of perfection, and we're never going to reach it. The Christian is a new creature, but that does not mean that they are sinlessly perfect. It only means that we hate sin. We hate our own sins. Uh, we hate sin in any form, and we're trying to get away from sin, and, and, and that we're no longer in rebellion against God. God will not impute sin. A person will be eventually lost if they die without obeying the gospel and without becoming a Christian. But, but for the faithful Christian, God does not account sin against them. That Christian is kept justified. God keeps us pardoned and forgiven of our sins if we are faithful and just and ask Him to forgive us of our sins.
And that's what Paul meant when he said in Romans 4, 8, Blessed is the man to whom God will not impute sin. The American Standard Version reads just a little different. It says, to whom God will not reckon sin. Reckon means to count it, to chalk it up, to count it, to put it on the record against someone or against something. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 8, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Everyone has sins, but they do not have to be a willful sinner. We'll still have some sins, but if, if we are penitent and pure and clean in our hearts and purpose of life and we're doing the best to be like Jesus, then God will keep them cleansed. And that is, is, is the man to whom God will not impute, will not reckon, will not chalk up sin against him. It's encouraging to the Christian to know that that you can live the Christian life in spite of your weaknesses and your mistakes. And if you're pure in heart and you hate sin and you want to live right, then, then God's going to see you through. If you will obey the gospel, God will forgive you and He will save you and, and will keep you cleansed so long as you are not willfully sinning, so long as you are pure in heart you will see God. And God will not chalk up sin against you because you're praying for continued forgiveness every time you pray. You know, I, uh, kind of a little bit of a sidebar, I thought about this as I was preparing my thoughts this afternoon. You know, have, have you ever been to a congregation, not necessarily midway, and you hear opening prayers and closing prayers, and a man might get up and say, "Forgive me of my, forgive us of our many, many sins." And then the service goes on, and some fellow gets up to lead the closing prayer and says, "Forgive us of our many, many sins." Uh, not. Not in the context of I've sinned so many sins here in these last few moments or in these last few days, but rather in the context of I want forgiveness for whatever sins I may commit while not in the sinning business. That's what John's talking about here in First John chapter one, verses seven, eight, nine, ten, right along in there. And some person might even go so far as to say, Well, that's kind of hypocritical. You you preach that if you obey the gospel, you will be saved. What good will that do us when with the very first sin we commit, we fall from grace? And Paul says you can't be renewed unto repentance. And he says again, if we sin willfully, that there remaineth no more sacrifices for sin. And they interpret this to mean something different. They interpret it to mean no more forgiveness. And if that were so, every sin that a child of God committed, even though or even through, say, weakness or being off guard or being under the stress and strain of some very great temptation or in a moment of great weakness, that happens to all of us. The weakest link in our character might be exposed and we yield to it. 
it would be an unpardonable sin and that every sin that a child of God commits would be an unpardonable sin. If that was the case, we would have no hope. None of us. 1 John 3.9 does not teach that. It simply teaches that we as Christians are out of the sinning business. In closing tonight, I want to suggest to you that there are three kinds of people, three different characters in God's sight as far as responsible beings are concerned. First, there's the willful sinner, the person who has become accountable, responsible, and has not obeyed the gospel, has not been saved. And and that person, and you know people like this, I'm sure, that person may be someone that, that people consider to be a good person. They'll say, hey, he's a good man. Doing nothing wrong, doing nothing malicious, serving other people. Nothing wrong is noticeable. And, and he may have even prayed to God to forgive him. But God didn't forgive him because he hasn't obeyed the gospel. He may even have penitent. Uh, he may be even penitent in his heart. But God doesn't save him just because of that in a peaceful, piecemeal kind of fashion like that. He, God, God doesn't forgive a man of one sin and then leave him guilty of all his other sins. That's not God's plan of salvation. That's a perversion of doctrine. He won't forgive you of any sin until you repent of all sins and resolve to obey God in all matters to the the very best of your ability. Your heart is not even pure until you get to that point, until you reach that decision. God chalks these, as we use the term, chalks up all these, these sins against the alien sinner, and he leaves them chalked up against him, accounted to him, reckoned to him, until that person obeys the gospel. And if he never obeys the gospel, they stay. They stay chalked up against him and, and, and they will be imputed to him at the judgment bar of God and will damn his soul forever to hell. And he's lost. And then there's the backslider. We, you know, I don't hear that term a whole lot. I used to hear it a lot as a young person in the church, you know, but I guess it must have been one of those terms people thought was offensive. And they quit using it. God also chalks up the sins against that person from the moment that that person backslid, from the moment that person made their mind up that they're going to willfully sin and go back into sin. God started reckoning that, accounting that. Hebrews ten twenty six reads: If we sin willfully. After that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Christ has made the only sacrifice that will ever be made. And if you do not obey the terms of the Lord, which involves repentance and turning from sin and prayer and being baptized, confessing the, the name of Jesus and being baptized, that sacrifice 
has that that Christ may will avail you nothing as a child of God. You will be lost as if he had never died for you. If you backslide and willfully or impenitently sin and go back into sin. Hebrews 10.27 says this, But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. There is no hope for the backslider if he dies in his sins. He is a willful sinner. He is impenitent. He sins willfully. He stays in sin. And if he does not confess his wrongs, he will be lost. He can, now he can come back if he hasn't gone beyond what we mentioned earlier to that point of no return where their conscience is seared. He can come back. And we're warned of that, not to harden our hearts, not to sear the conscience. Then there's the third person, the faithful Christian who himself is or herself is imperfect. A new member of the, the church can be faithful. That person can stay with God and stay with the Christian life and do their best just like anybody else. But they will be eventually lost if they don't do that. Now, we, we know our, our fellow church members, our brothers and sisters, and there's some in the church that you might could think are, are more nearly perfect than others. Some may be more mature, mature of course, who've, who've had many more years of experience and study. But let's just go back to 1 John and, and read some passages. And, and I can't define it or describe it any better than God's Word. 1 John chapter 7. I'm sorry, 1 John 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And then to chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk, just as he walked. And then finally, verse uh, 2 in chapter 5, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Three different characters in God's sight. Which one are you? If you're not a Christian tonight, you can become one. Uh, You can come forward Confess the good name of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Go down into the watery grave of baptism and come up anew to serve Him for the rest of your life. You may be here tonight, you're not a faithful Christian. Uh, 
Maybe some of the things we've said tonight have touched you, helped you. You can repent. You can be forgiven of your sins. You can come forward tonight and we'll be glad to pray for you and help you in any way. Whatever your need, please come as we stand and sing.